Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you'll hear from a panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Norma. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program. It's for caregivers coping with the stresses of caregiving when your loved one has multiple myeloma. And today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations and blood cancer organizations as well. And because of that collaboration, we have on the program today over 304 participants. And you come from all of the United States, from both urban, rural, and suburban areas. And we also have today on the program international participants from Canada, Egypt, Israel, Iraq, the Philippines, the United Kingdom. So it's a bit of a global call as well. And today's program is supported by a charitable contribution from Janssen Pharmaceutical companies of Johnson & Johnson. I really want to thank them for the support of the program today. Now, before we actually uh, start with our speakers, um, I do have just a few questions I want to ask all of you up front before the program starts, just to get a sense of what you know coming into the program. And so the, I'm going to start with the first question. And for those of you live streaming, you'll be able to see the question. So the first question is, I understand the treatment of multi-myeloma in the context of COVID-19, and either yes or no. And the second question is, I am able to describe the important role of the caregiver in decision-making, again, yes or no. And the third question is, I understand the challenges of caregiving and social distancing in the context of COVID-19. Again, either yes or no. And this is the fourth and last question of this series. I know self-care tips to manage the stresses of caregiving, yes or no. So I want to thank you all for participating in these brief questions. It helps us to get a sense of what you know coming into the program. And now I'm going to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Elizabeth O'Donnell. And Dr. O'Donnell is Director, Lifestyle Clinic, Massachusetts General Hospital, Associate Director, Mass General Cancer Center's Survivorship Program, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. And Dr. O'Donnell has tremendous expertise in treating myeloma. So we begin by an overview of the treatment of multi-myeloma in the context of COVID-19. And then caring for your loved one with multi-myeloma in the context of COVID-19. Important role of lifestyle, quality of life, and activity in coping with multi-myeloma. And lastly, challenges in communicating with the healthcare team, the role of the caregiver. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. O'Donnell. Thank you so much for that. Uh, wonderful welcome, and um, it's my honor to be able to participate in this call. You know, today is about the caregiver, 
And, you know, there's no cancer more so than myeloma, I believe, that really draws upon the strength of the caregiver over many years. Um, I've been tasked with covering four topics today, um, and we will talk about the overview of treatment of myeloma, but I really do want to focus more so um, on caring for your loved one and the importance of quality of life, both for the patient, but more so in this call for the caregiver. So, Treating multiple myeloma is always a long-term journey. Uh, there are many ups and downs, and patients will often go from being in intensive periods of therapy to periods of maintenance. Um, so there are different cycles that patients go through, and this very much impacts the caregiver. As many of the people listening to this call know, many myeloma therapies require frequent visits to the cancer center. Many of the regimen that we use to treat multiple myeloma, in fact, have you coming once and sometimes twice per week. This obviously has a huge impact on the patient, but also on the caregiver. If they're the person responsible for either getting the patient to their treatment or for maintaining the household or working during periods of time where patients may need um, to not be there because they're at the cancer center. So how is this impacted by COVID? Um, you know, things are certainly different here in Boston than they were this time last year. We've done, we've gotten a little bit uh, back to more normal, but it's still not normal. Um, and for multiple myeloma patients where we worry about risk of infection independent of the current pandemic, there are certain recommendations that have been discussed by consensus panels on the international level, things we can do to minimize the risk of COVID infection while undergoing treatment for multiple myeloma. Um, and so, you know, some of these involve minimizing visits to the cancer center. So let's say you're on Revlimid maintenance, for example. Uh, very often we'll see patients once a month, check labs, have a check-in. Uh, to the extent that we can do these visits virtually, and check labs locally. Uh, we encourage people to do that so that it's fewer trips uh, to the hospital. If you're on something like uh, zolendronic acid or zomeda, uh, which is something to help protect your bones, decreasing the frequency from one month every three months during a maintenance period can minimize visit burdens. Um, some of our treatments, which uh, can be mu more immunosuppressing, like transplants, we may consider delaying them if they're elective, meaning they don't have to be done at that point in time. So really, there are some adjustments to myeloma therapy, but at the same time, we want our patients to get treated and to do well. If we can choose drugs that are given as pills orally rather than IV, uh, those are treatment decisions that you can discuss with your provider that may be um, beneficial here in this COVID setting. And so the next question, and really want to spend some time on, is caring for your loved one with myeloma in the context of COVID-19. You know, this has been a challenge to everybody uh, globally, uh, this pandemic. And there are more restrictions now on everybody in terms of being able to go out to, to, to run errands, um, and but most importantly, to be with other people. And so, you know, one of the concerns of, COVID is having people come into your home uh, who, you know, are not from your, your household. And so caring for a loved one with multiple myeloma, when you're the caregiver and you're that person who's there and responsible, it may become harder during COVID to share that responsibility with other people. And so, you know, the things um, that we all have to do and be responsible about 
uh, are wearing our masks, uh, limiting our interaction with numerous people or people who might be higher risk, meaning they're uh, younger going to schools um, or in environments where patients or people are not wearing masks. Um, and so, you know, also taking time for self-care. If you're in a situation where now you have gone from being the caregiver uh, who had some assistance from other friends and family to really being that point person because of the limitations of having other people come into your home, I would just really encourage you to focus on your self-care as well, taking time where you can um, to be good to yourself, whether it's going for a walk. And again, caregivers' options are limited in terms of the things that they can do. And I know there are regional differences. Um, and, you know, I can speak only to what we have here, but we really encourage people uh, to minimize going into enclosed environments and to always wear masks. But if you can do things like going for walks outside um, or finding time for yourself, I think it's really important um, because we are headed into the winter um, and we are seeing numbers go up. And so there may be uh, less opportunity to be out and interact with other people. So really preserving some time for yourself. Um, and that also underscores the importance of the role of lifestyle, quality of life, in activating, in, in coping with multiple myeloma. You know, anybody who goes to a doctor's appointment for myeloma knows that there's a lot that's discussed. Most appointments are either 20 or 30 minutes, and very often we cover the important topics, medication refills, toxicities to medicines, medication adjustments, and there's not a lot of time to really talk about quality of life um, and activity. And there are um, guidelines. We really do want people, and this this is not just for the patients themselves, caregivers too, um, to to exercise. And for myeloma patients, we have to be very careful about weight bearing. Uh, but you know, trying to uh, move um, and remain active, inactivity can be just as bad for you as uh, not being active. So really trying to keep busy, do your activities of daily living, whether that be, you know, washing the dishes or doing your chores. I said on one call before, you know, dancing, put on some music if you can't get out of the house uh, and get your body moving. These are important things that will make you feel better, um, you know, and really trying to uh, watch what you eat. A lot of people find that they've been gaining weight during COVID <laughs> because they're less active and they're more indoors. So being aware of the choices that you're making in terms of what you eat. Uh, you know, we do advocate in general the American Cancer Society for a plant-based diet where two-thirds of your diet comes from fruits or vegetables, um, emphasizing whole grains, minimizing sugar and alcohol. These are all good things um, in terms of lifestyle um, and you know, do encourage people, again, to stay active, to move your body, but to do so in a safe way. If you are going outside of the home, to wear a mask um, and, uh, and avoid uh, potentially uh, dangerous interactions. I do think, though, for the caregiver, too, there are challenges in communicating with the healthcare team, and, and it's doubly hard now. I don't know about all the patients on this call, but I know in our hospital and many of others, uh, we limit the number of patients who can come into the cancer center, so we don't allow um, caregivers currently to come with patients. Uh, so, you know, that's really hard. Again, these are short appointments, and very often um, it's the caregivers who provide us with some of the most important insights about how a patient is doing. You know, in my practice, 
uh, I begin each appointment now that the caregivers are not coming into the clinic physically, I offer the opportunity to call the caregiver and bring them in on the telephone, on speakerphone, um, so that they can be a part of that visit so we get important information. And so as a patient or as a caregiver, it's important if your uh, provider doesn't think to do that to ask if you can be incorporated in the visit so that your perspective is heard and some of the challenges that may not be voiced are brought up. Uh, as doctors, we need to hear um, what's going on at home so that we can address it uh, and so that it comes to the forefront of our care. We very much value the insights of the caregivers. Um, you know best. You're seeing the patient day in and day out. You know how they're doing physically. You know how they're doing emotionally. Um, and it is more challenging in COVID where we don't have caregivers coming into the appointments to get that very important information. And so the thing that I would ask most is as a caregiver to continue to advocate to be a part of the care. We are happy to hear from you. We want to hear from you. And so the way that has uh, been best for me in my practice is having you join via the telephone um, so that we can hear about what's going on at home and address any questions or concerns that you might have. So I think those conclude my topics uh, and my time. I'm happy to take more questions at the end. And again, I very much appreciate the opportunity to participate in this call. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. O'Donnell. That was wonderful and just a wonderful overview. Um, so many of the topics that we're going to be addressing and just setting the context for today's program. And I know there'll be questions for you um, at the end of the program as well. So thank you so much. And our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is former founding director of Cancer Support Services continuing cancer centers of New York, and he's an author and researcher in oncology. And Dr. Fleischman will be addressing deciding to become a caregiver, your important role in decision-making, caregiving and social distancing, including wearing masks in the context of COVID-19, the benefits of telehealth, telemedicine appointments, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology and your list of questions. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Yes, thank you, Dr. Messner, and hello, everybody, and thanks for signing on to this call. Uh, up until uh, just recent years, being a caregiver was not um, well represented in our knowledge base and in the literature, and now we, we do understand so much more about what it's like for um, people who have no medical background in, in, in any of the allied fields even, to be able to step in and um, do the amazing array of uh, things that need to be done for someone who has multiple myeloma. As Dr. McDonald um, outlined, multiple myeloma can be a very lengthy process. Um, and there are times when uh, a patient can be very fatigued um, at, during treatments or uh, after um, a transplant. And there are times when people may have a diagnosis in their pocket, but they feel quite well. And we as caregivers need to be able to um, estimate that and respond and change the way we approach being a caregiver because it's a very different job when someone is um, uh, very fatigued and uh, uh, mobile for at least part of the day, as Dr. O'Donnell said, uh, people need to keep moving to the extent that they can and that is safe. 
Um, but it's very different than when somebody is, is feeling relatively healthy and these days may be out and about um, and uh, ever so more important to be following uh, the infectious disease precautions about um, uh, physical distancing, wearing a mask, um, using hand sanitizer, hand washing, all the things that we talk about for the general public are ever more important to someone who's in the middle of multiple myeloma, whether they're in treatment or not. The uh, One of the things that uh, we'd like to highlight on these calls is the special role that caregivers can have in helping the the identified patient actually being make, making decisions. Um, you heard about um, the idea that many caregivers are asked not to come to medical appointments for follow-ups, um, and they can and should be involved to the extent that the patient wants um, through some electronic medium, whether it's by plain old telephone or through um, a video connection, through something like FaceTime or Skype or something um, that is built into the hospital system because many hospital systems will actually allow for video conferencing, uh, whether a patient is at home or a family member is at home. And um, it, that, that, that caregiver really has the same responsibilities that they would have if they were in the room with somebody, taking notes, keeping track of questions, um, and um, it may even be easier for caregivers who live in other parts of the country or even the world to be able to hop onto a visit for the individual patient. But after the visit is over, it's the caregiver that can review the information with the patient, uh, be able to be a sounding board. The caregiver knows the patient personally in a way that we don't um, as professional caregivers taking care of someone with multiple myeloma um, during the diagnosis or treatment or in the survivorship uh, time long after treatment is over. So as a caregiver, the personal aspects, knowing somebody's values, knowing how much someone feels that they can um, really want to be involved with in treatment um, is very important, and it's important to be a sounding board for somebody. It's not just a matter of the usual things we think about caregiving, um, about making sure that somebody's sleeping well and eating well and moving and the shopping and the cooking and all those very important things, but caregivers can actually take on an important role in decision-making. Um, as, as was said before, the idea that somebody in the middle of treatment or someone who has myeloma whose immune system may not be as robust as they would like really needs to follow the um, public health guidelines um, that are uh, important for all of us, but ever more important. Um, questions sometimes come in, in, particularly in multiple myeloma, but with some solid tumors also about movement and physical activity. And um, it, there are some patients with myeloma, as with other solid tumors, who have weaker bones. Um, and uh, before starting on any sort of program or doing things that are extremely physically strenuous, which ma many people can do, please ask your cancer treatment team to see what they're comfortable with, because it's, sometimes it's easy to break a bone and you wouldn't want that to happen. Um, but for most people, it's uh, a very minor issue, but again, something important to mention in um, uh, it, with multiple myeloma. 
So uh, for caregivers who are new to the electronic age, as we all are with uh, virtual visits, um, keep in mind there are ways to prepare for a telehealth visit as a caregiver, uh, and, and these pertain to patients themselves, making sure that uh, you have a device, um, even if that's a telephone, if it's a telephone, who's going to call whom at what time, uh, making sure that the um, area you're in is as quiet as it can be because um, extraneous noise can actually um, make it hard to hear and hard to understand, and that sort of defeats the purpose of being on um, at the visit. Um, if the patient or the caregiver have questions, write them down because sometimes getting caught in the discussion, um, it's easy to forget something that you really wanted to ask. Um, and in, in, if, if it's something beyond a telephone call, often it's a good idea to have a dry run with the software and with the system that will be used because that's um, a way to, to make sure that everybody's on time. Um, as patients, we hate to be kept waiting, and as caregivers, um, we hate to be waiting. And in the clinic or in the hospital and offices, we try to run on time to respect people's time as much as possible. So that may be actually um, rehearsing or having a dry run beforehand to connect with someone in the office just to make sure that uh, everybody knows what to do. So um, in conclusion, caregiving is more than just the usual daily taking care of somebody, but actually helping in decision-making. It can be more meaningful during these times of physical distancing. Uh, there are ways to be able to prepare well for the, um, for the visit so that um, everybody gets the most out of it and we can learn the most about uh, how a patient and family are doing so that they can um, participate in their care as, as well as possible. Uh, with that note, I will turn the call over to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That was really outstanding and uh, really lots of good information for everybody to have. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you so much. Um, and our next speaker is Ms. Sharon. Just pull up. Uh, is Ms. Sharon Flynn. And uh, I'm, it's Georgie Cusack, I'm sorry. Georgie Cusack and Miss um, Sharon Flynn are very great colleagues and often speak on our programs. And so... Today it is Georgie Kusak, and Georgie Kusak is an oncology nurse. She's director of education and patient safety, National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, adjunct nurse leader, nursing research and translational science clinical center, National Institutes of Health. And Ms. Kusak will be addressing your role in adherence, weekends, vacations, and holidays, coping with each day on special occasions, anniversaries, and birthdays, Managing family, friends, traditions in the context of social distancing, and self-care tips to manage the stresses of caregiving, key strategies for self-care. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Kusak. Thank you, Carolyn. I'd like to take this opportunity to welcome all the participants who are on the call. It's my pleasure to participate in this conference call. And as we all know, we are in unprecedented times right now, and we really need to be able to think creatively in terms of helping our family members to be able to cope during COVID-19 and with, you know, with the fact that they have multiple myeloma. It's hard to be socially distanced when caring for a family member. However, there are certain things that we can do to protect, that you can do to protect yourself and your family member. And, and as was mentioned earlier, probably the biggest thing is keeping hand sanitizer with you at all time 
washing your hands thoroughly after caring for your loved one. The big thing to remember about hand sanitizer is once you place it on your hands, you need to make sure that you're rubbing your hands until all the sanitizer is completely dry. So that's going to be anywhere from 20 to 30 seconds with that. If you're having visible soiling of your hands, then you really need to be not using just the sanitizer. You need to be washing your hands with the soap and water for that. And often I'll see people that who sometimes will just wipe off the hand sanitizer with a towel, and that kind of defeats the purpose of it. So that's probably the first tip. We're going to talk a little bit about your role in it, in your role in helping them to adhere to taking their medications. So many of today's cancer treatments, especially with multiple myeloma, are in pill form. And because they're taken by mouth, they sometimes might not seem as important as injections or infusions that are given in the doctor's office. And in truth, cancer pills are just as important as these other forms. And so we need to make sure that you're able to help your loved one to be able to take the medications on time, take them as they're prescribed, um, and making sure that, you know, that um, you're helping them as much as you can to just adhere to those schedules. However, that's not always easy to do, and there are many reasons why people may miss a dose of their medication. Sometimes in the busy hours of a typical day, they may simply forget a dose, or they may decide to skip a dose on purpose because of side effects or the cost of the medications. Sometimes um, they may, you know, feel better if they're not taking the medication and they don't realize that they really need to keep it on schedule. So your job as a caregiver is really to just make sure that you're helping them to adhere to the schedule. Um, each pill has its own unique schedule. So some are taken once a day, others are taken several times a day. Um, and sometimes, you know, they have a break after a few weeks for a week or something like that. So just knowing what the schedule is will be helpful for that. The other big thing I tell people about this is, you know, when you when you have a list of medications, it's always good to write down the medications, write down, you know, the dosing of the medications, when they are due, uh, when refills are due, so that if you are getting ready to go to a doctor's visit or something like that, you can help your family member remember you know, to be able to ask for refills and different things like that. Um, you also want to write down who the physician is that ordered the medication, so that will help you to be able to do that also. Um, when we think about the treatment schedules, you know, how complex is the treatment schedule? Are there other types of, um, you know, uh, comorbidities like high blood pressure or diabetes uh, in addition to the multiple myeloma? where they may need, may need to be taking medications. And so just remembering all of those things um, can be a, you know, hugely important to your family member when you're doing that. There's lots of the tools to be able to help with adherence. Sometimes on your telephone, you can set an alarm because sometimes people forget during the day to take the pills. So helping them to set an alarm. Um, also, there's on your computer there's and on your cell phones, there are many apps that can be used for that applications. Um, some people will use patient calendars to keep track of their medications. Others will use pill boxes. You also have the opportunity now, and you can ask your individual pharmacy if they do blister packs or single-dose packs of medications. So sometimes they will pack the meds for the entire 30 days, and that way you'll be able to keep track of it a little bit better that way also. So it just depends on um, the you know what you can plan ahead with them, with the pharmacist with that. Um, if you, again, in terms of refilling prescriptions, you want to work ahead of time with them so that your um, family member doesn't, or friend doesn't run out of medications. And um, those are the big things on adherence. 
when we talk about managing family and friends, especially in looking at um, COVID, you want to make sure that if you have family members that are visiting that, um, again, especially with the fatigue and, uh, you know, you want your family members to have a good amount of time to rest and things like that. So you may want to have your family members visit for shorter periods of time and maybe space out the visit so that everybody's coming at one time. Um, especially around the holidays when we talk about Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's, you want to limit the amount of people that are coming in to visit. Again, a lot of that has to do with fatigue, but then also because of um you know, uh, potentially spreading infection. We are getting into flu season now also. So you just want to make sure that if people are coming in that, um, you know, just remind them if they are feeling sick or anything like that to, to maybe delay their visit until they're feeling better and um, different things like that. You're kind of the gatekeeper for your for your family member or friend in this case just to help them to, um, you know, to recognize that. Uh, you want to make sure that when people do come, as was mentioned earlier, you want to have them wearing a mask when they're visiting, wash their hands, and maintain the six feet in social distancing. Um, and sometimes, too, you know, sometimes they don't even have to come in. We do a lot of video conferencing with family and friends and different things like that. I had a friend recently who um, uh, who had leukemia, and they had a lot of family members that came over, but they just kind of did a drive-by. And so, he sat out in the front yard and all the family members just kind of drove by and um, wished him well and things like that. And I thought that was a, a nice way to recognize that he had about 400 cars that came by his house in a couple of days to um, just recognize that. You may want to assign, you know, again, you're the person that's helping to coordinate care, but you might want to coordinate with other friends and family members to coordinate meals, to uh, coordinate going to appointments, um, you know, if they need someone or even to be on the call with a patient during that time. There's a ton of literature out there on kindness and how it makes others feel good to be helpful. So you're actually helping them as well as helping your family member when you can do that. Sometimes people don't know what to say and they don't know how to help. And so if you can help them to just know some of the things that the, um, that the family member may need, that's helpful. Also identifying foods that the patient likes and dislikes so that if people are bringing food over, they'll be able to um, to know that. And then long distance um, caregiving, Carolyn's going to address, I'll let her um, address that. And then when we talk about coping again during the holidays, holidays can be very special times, but always stressful. And many times the caregiver does carry the burden of making sure that everything's perfect for the family events and, and you don't take time for yourself to even breathe. And so you wanna be able to manage the expectations and be able to preserve your own energy also so that um, we talked a little bit earlier about picking and choosing gatherings for family members and maybe who will come over and things like that. But just thinking about uh, the NCI has um, eight tips to cope with cancer during the holidays. And probably one of the biggest things they say is to be in tune with your own thoughts and feelings. And so, you know, if you think your family member is feeling up for a visit, they seem like they're up for it on that particular day, you know, let people come in and see them. But if they aren't up for it, then, you know, let them know that maybe today is not a good day. And sometimes the, sometimes your family member doesn't want to say that because they don't want to, you know, hurt people's feelings and stuff. And so you can kind of help them with that to be able to do that. Um, again, making a list of family and friends who you can count on to listen to your concerns also is helpful during that time. Um, making sure you're still eating healthy yourself, eating a balanced diet, uh, as I said before, asking family and friends to help, 
um, starting new traditions. Again, this year is not the same as every other year, and so we maybe want to start some new traditions with family members um, and friends for that. And then making things as simple as possible and being able to, to pace yourself and pace it for your family members so that they don't get overwhelmed with all of the stress that's going on and different things like that. Um, for yourself, schedule self-care time. And so each week or each day, be able to take time to focus on yourself, um, you know, whether that be to exercise for yourself, you know, taking a walk, um, meditating, uh, taking a nap for yourself. You know, we don't take a lot of time for ourselves when we're caregivers. And so we want to be able to really do that for ourselves. Um, thinking on the, you know, writing down positive qualities about yourself. So show yourself some self-love by writing down different qualities that make you a great caregiver and a great person and just to help keep yourself motivated. You know, sometimes it's easy to get down on ourselves when we don't feel like we're able to do everything, but give yourself a break on with that. And then make a self-care emergency plan for yourself. So um, plan on, you know, what can you do when you get overwhelmed? What are those things that you want to do or who can you count on during the time to do that? Um, spirituality, a lot of people seek out support from their local church or pastoral services. Prioritize sleep for yourself to make sure you're getting tons of rest periods and schedule somebody else to come over to stay the night so you can get a good night's sleep. Um, journaling is a great activity to express your own activities. You can also um, get smartphone apps for meditation and mindfulness. They have the Calm app or the Breathe app or there's also several YouTube videos on um, you know, flute and piano music and uh, just different ways to help you to relax. And then finally, the American Cancer Society has a what they call a distress checklist and a coping checklist for caregivers. And that helps you to identify if you are having a difficult time and having problems um, with being able, you know, feeling stressed out with caregiving and maybe some of the things that you can do to help that. Um, the NCI also has a caring for the caregiver brochure. And then Cancer Care has tips for caregiving for a loved one with cancer during the holidays. And so the biggest thing is to remember that you're an important member of the healthcare team and you need to be able to take care of yourself so that you can better take care of the patient. So it's been a pleasure for me to participate in the conference and Carolyn, I'll turn it back over to you and I'm happy to entertain any questions at the end of the presentation. Thank you. Uh, thank, thank you so much, Ms. Kusak. That was really um, outstanding and, and really a, a lot of the focus on really uh, how to take care of yourself as a caregiver is so important and lots of wonderful tips that you've given people. So I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you so much. And um, our next speaker is Miss um, uh, Diana Bearden, and Ms. Bearden is an oncology dietitian, Michael E. DeBakey, VA Medical Center, and she will be dis discussing nutrition and hydration, nutrition and hydration concerns and tips. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Bearden. Thank you so much, Carolyn. I'm excited to be part of today's presentation. Nutrition and hydration are essential um, in the tolerance um, to the treatment and providing patients the energy um, to do, do the things they want to do and things they enjoy. Recommendations for all stages of cancer, this includes prevention during and after cancer treatment, is um, a plant-based diet where about two-thirds of the plate is um, about a, consisting of the least processed, the better of our fresh fruits or frozen fruits, um, fresh vegetables, frozen vegetables, and whole grains. 
Um, the other third is recommended to be a lean protein, and this looks like a lean poultry, um, a wild-caught um, cold-water fish, or a plant-based protein such as quinoa. However, the diet may not always look like this all the time during your loved one's treatment course, and that's okay. Um, your loved one um, may be having experiencing side effects um, from the cancer treatment, and the diet might be modified um, to help manage some of those. Some of the potential side effects include things like mouth sores, loss of appetite, um, weight changes, nausea and vomiting. And if your loved one's not able to meet their nutrition needs, it could result in a delay in treatment. Um, so it's important to be connected with your healthcare team throughout the entire process. You can ask to speak with a dietitian um, independently who can provide information on calorie, protein, fluid needs, and then ways to modify the diet to address the side effects to help with the intake. Now, even if the patient is overweight, they can still become malnourished. I get this a lot with patients. And um, whenever you're not eating enough and you're not meeting your nutrition goals, your body starts to use muscle and um, for energy because it's very easy to break down. And this can result in increased fatigue and increased risk of falls, um, less endurance, and so um, ultimately impacting their quality of life. So please do communicate with the healthcare team when you see changes in your loved one's intake and um, tolerance to diet. Some little tips to kind of think about, um, even though some patients are able to take their treatment at home and it's an oral, um, in an oral medication form, some patients aren't. And if they're having to go up to the hospital, I know right now um, it's limiting um, in some locations, having family members up there, pack your loved one um, a little care pack. Um, easy to grab, easy to go, snack ideas, things that they're doing well with, also something to drink. Um, oftentimes when people aren't eating as much, they're not drinking as much. And dehydration is a real concern with our patients undergoing cancer treatment. But like Ms. Kusak mentioned, setting an alarm, not only for medications, but for eating is a great reminder. So if it's time for medication, try and eat something at that time too and drink something. Now, if um, you have patients who have lots of family and friends and they want to help and be helpful with food, just be mindful, um, you know, not everybody's kitchen is kept the same and not everybody handles food the same. And so just be mindful of who's bringing food to your home and that you aren't leaving things in the refrigerator for too long. Um, be mindful of expiration dates. And, um, you know, oftentimes you get an onslaught of food and, and lots of wonderful um, folks in our life who want to help support us. And maybe breaking that up so that you don't have a backlog can be very helpful too. Now, with medications, um, to help address some of the side effects, there are medications that can help. Um, keeping a notation as a caregiver, the best thing you can do is be a good scribe, keeping down little things that you're observing, changes that you're seeing. Um, you're going to notice these things a lot more than the patient will most of the time, and that your, your insight is so important and so helpful. Um, so please keep a record so that the doctor knows when you're on the phone if you, even if you aren't there physically with the patient at the appointment, that you can say, I've also taken some notes. Can I go over some changes that I've seen with the patient? And that'll be really important in helping to support, um, support them. But maintaining um, adequate hydration is essential, and dehydration can increase side effects. It can make you feel more nauseated, fatigued, even really dizzy and weak. 
Um, but fluid is anything that's liquid at room temperature. This includes things like water, milk, sports drinks. But a general guideline is most people need between 64, 80 ounces minimally a day of fluid. So um, that's just something to be mindful of. And in closing, there are several you know, members of the healthcare team dedicated to your loved one. And um, reach out to them. Let them know that you're there and the challenges the patient's experiencing so they can better support you and them. Thank you so much for allowing me to be today part of today's presentation. Carolyn, I'll pass the line back over to you. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Bearden. That was really excellent and lots of helpful tips around both hydration and, uh, and, uh, and nutrition as well. Very important for everybody. Um, and so thank you. And I know there'll be questions for you always uh, during the Q&A. Um, and um, I'm Carolyn Mester, and I'm going to say a few words before, um, uh, before we move to the next phase of the program. Uh, I'm a director of education and training at Cancer Care. I'm an oncology social worker, and I'm going to be discussing long-distance caregiving and Cancer Care's free programs. So I want to say um, a bit about long-distance caregiving. You know, um, in this era right now, long-distance caregivers can play a really important role. Um, they actually, um, so no matter where you live, if you live Oh, a half hour away or an hour away or you live halfway across the country or another part of the world, you can participate actively um, because of all of the virtual things that we're doing in terms of email or calling someone on the phone or um, with Zoom calls. You can actually participate with meetings with the doctor as well as long as the person with multiple or agrees to that decision. Um, so you can play a much more active role in being present during a meeting that perhaps in the past might not have been possible for you, kind of an extra set of ears and really very helpful in that respect. You may also be able to coordinate, um, for example, if you are the only significant person in, that per in, the, in the person with multi-myeloma's life that really, and, and you live far away, it doesn't mean that you can't coordinate services for them from far away. And now that can be done. Um, so that's another component of our, just the virtual world that we live in right now because of the social distancing. So uh, please be aware that for both the person living with multiple myeloma and the long-distance caregiver and other family members, that the long-distance caregiver can be a much more important a person, player, always has been, but now even more significantly so just because many of the visits with doctors are through telehealth. You don't have to be there physically, and you actually can participate on the phone or whatever the um, technology that the system has set up for you to be able to be a part of that call as long as the patient agrees to it. And again, then you can help with their following up. You can help with the follow-up with the pharmacist. You can. There's just so many different things that reminding them about things that have to be done or um, upcoming appointments, adherence. So that's really a very important role that you can play. So I just want to really call out to long-distance caregivers, um, uh, just very important uh, players. And again, again, a long-distance caregiver can be somebody in an urban area that just lives across town. It could take an hour to get back and forth or someone who really lives across country or in another country altogether. And then I do want to say something about Cancer Care's free programs and services. So Cancer Care um, has been around for about 76 years now. It's an, a nonprofit organization. All of our services are free. Our staff primarily delivering the services are oncology social workers, and we offer a, a host of services. So many people call us on our HOPE line, 1-800-813-4673 or come to our website, www.cancercare.org. Either way, you can access a connection with one of our oncology social workers. And 
and so when you when you call, um, you actually can get support. You may have a question or concern that you need some help with. Um, you also uh, may wish to participate in an online support group, or you may wish to participate in one of these education workshops, or you may wish to order a publication or a fact sheet from Cancer Care. Um, so there are many different, and we also do have now a new case management service in which we really connect people with services in their community. So if we don't have it, we can connect you with a service right in your home community, and we will follow you to be sure you get connected there to the service you need. And if you don't get it, we'll follow up with you to be sure that you do get what you need. Cancer Care also does offer financial and practical assistance, and we have a copay foundation in addition to help with some of the costs of uh, treatment itself. So just to be aware of that, that additional service as well. So that, in a nutshell, is a lot of the services that you can access from Cancer Care. And at the end of the program, you'll be getting an evaluation form through SurveyMonkey, but in that evaluation form will also be um, any resource that we mentioned during the program today. So any of our speakers who have mentioned anything, you'll be getting a whole listing of those programs that are out there that could really be of help to you. Um, so. And now, before we move on to the Q&A, I just have a few questions to ask all of you um, at the very end of this program today um, to really get a sense of what this program was like for you, just quickly. So I'm going to, for those of you who are live streaming, you'll be able to see the questions and they're yes, no. So the first question is, as a result of this workshop, I better understand the treatment of myeloma in the context of COVID-19, and either yes or no. And then the second question is, as a result of this workshop, I am better able to describe the important role of a caregiver in decision-making, either yes or no. And the next question is, as a result of this workshop, I better understand the challenges of caregiving and social distancing in the context of COVID-19, either yes or no. And the final question is, as a result of this workshop, I better know self-care tips to manage the stresses of caregiving, yes or no. Well, thank you for participating in, this, in these brief questions. And now we're going to um, bring on all of our speakers. I'm going to ask Norma to bring all of our speakers on board for a Q&A. Norma? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then one, on your touchstone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. Again, ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question, please press star one. And we have a question from one of our online participants. Um, and this question, um, so I'm going to, this question is for Dr. Fleischman to start. How do we go about making sure they take their medication if they're being stubborn and not wanting to take it or say they will take it in five minutes and then forget? Could you address this to start? Sure. Um, my experience is that hounding doesn't work. <laughs> um, it's kind of like when our kids are very little and you need to feed them. The more you try, the more they resist. What I've seen work is uh, gentle reminders, 
to set things out on a tray, to have an alarm go off, um, and, and be as gentle and directing as possible without forcing somebody because it doesn't work. I have seen patients over the years who know all the tricks and how to keep the pill in their mouth, and it's just not helpful to anybody. Um, but um, having the treatment team also back up the idea that these, uh, especially um, some of the oral treatments need to be taken on time, and uh, it's just beyond personal preference. Okay. And um, Dr. Um, O'Donnell, do you want to comment on that as well? In terms of how to encourage patients to be adherent to their medicines? Yes, yes. So, you know, I, I, I fully agree with Dr. Fleischman. It's very hard. The more, you know, the more you demand, you know, the more resistant people are. And so I think really education, why are these things important, and also understanding how we can make things easier for patients. Why are they resisting taking their medicines? Are there specific things that we can address? So, you know, if it's a certain pill that doesn't go down well and they find that distressing, are there different ways to administer that medicine? So, you know, beyond just saying you have to just figure out why are they not doing this and, and trying to see, working with your medical team, are there ways that we can you know, help with the dosing, the timing of the dosing, consolidating and such. Excellent. And Ms. Kusak, do you want to comment as well? Yeah, that's, that's more what I was going to say. I was going to say trying to understand why they don't want to take it because maybe they're nauseated or maybe mm -hmm. they're just so fatigued and different things like that. I think the consolidating idea is a, is a great idea with looking at that and really just um, just – as well as talking to them, talking to the healthcare team, because they can give you some additional strategies um, for that also. And, you know, some medicines may be more important than other medicines to take. You know, if somebody doesn't want to take their vitamin or something like that in the context of taking their treatment med and stuff, you may say, okay, well, there's too many pills. Maybe we can knock this one out or something and just, you know, give them some flexibility on on some of the things and stuff. It's hard when you're a family member and especially if you know it's the treatment that the patient's taking and you're you're saying, well, gosh, if they don't take that, they're going to, you know, their disease is going to get worse. But ultimately they have to, you know, they have to uh, take that responsibility themselves and you can just be there to to help them in any way you can. Excellent points. These are, I hope this is helpful to our, um, to our, our caller and uh, thank you. And, um, and this is from Ms. Kusak. How do you coordinate care between our family members and friends? We have several people to help, but it's tough to organize. Usually our free time overlaps. If you could comment on that. Yeah, I think it's a matter of, you know, some, some of the prioritization might even be with the patients themselves. There may be some people that, you know, that, that they may want to see and other people that, you know, they can see but don't necessarily have to and stuff. I mean, I think, again, giving people different things to do um, is helpful. So for some people, if you know they're really good cooks and stuff, and say, hey, maybe you could do this. And, you know, sometimes people always want to come over and, and see the patient, but that might not always be the best for the patient. So um, maybe on a weekly basis, you know, just select a few people to be able to say, okay, well, this is how you can help. And yeah, the other thing is, you know, there's a there's a really good site, the Caring Bridge site that people can go on, and you can give, as a family member, you can give updates, um, even on a daily basis, as to the status. Sometimes people just want to know how the person's doing, and they, you know, they don't need to come over and visit, but they just want to know how it's going 
and what can they best do to help. And so just trying to structure activities and, um, you know, just to be able to to make sure that um, that they feel a part of it, but that you're not overwhelming the patient because they become the priority at that point. And so um, sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, just, again, scheduling other types of activities for them to do rather than always just coming over to visit and things like that. Excellent, excellent point. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, anyone want to add to that or something very comprehensive? But, okay. thank great you. answer. Yeah, great. Okay, excellent. What a great team. What great questions. That's really um, what makes this call so amazing. Um, so the next question, um, so this one for Dr. Fleischman. I feel tired all the time, but I can't sleep at night since I worry so much about my husband's cancer. What should I do? Could you comment on that in a general way? Uh, it's rather common um, for caregivers to be up at night uh, worrying. Um, sometimes it's a practical situation. Um, you're taking care of someone who's unsteady on their feet and they need help going to the bathroom. And it's sometimes hard to fall back asleep after you do that. Um, it may be more worry. Uh, if it's worry, uh, there are a few sort of practical things to do, which is um, keep a list next to the bed, uh, keep a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen. Sometimes uh, if you can find these pens are not expensive with a little light in them so you can write at night without turning a light on. So if there's something that you need to do in the morning, uh, you write it down and uh, it can relieve you of thinking about it until you wake up. Um, uh, that's one thing. Second thing would be um, some uh, simple uh, re uh, relaxation techniques. Some of them are easily learned for free. They're online. There are even some uh, sound apps that you can put on your phone that can really help you fall asleep with lovely sounds of, um, that that you uh, may enjoy some um, uh, ocean sounds or some forest sounds, and that can be helpful. And the third thing is reach out for help, and I think the other speakers will um, echo the, the more details about how to do that. Other thoughts about that? Other speakers want to join in? Excellent, Dr. Fleischman. Thank you. This is Georgie. I think, the, again, the reaching out for help, is, and whether you reach out for your help in terms of talking to someone your, yourself to be able to see, you know, why why are you having these feelings and different things like that or what the feelings are. Sometimes it's a matter of touching base with the healthcare professional to say, hey, this is going on and you may be worried about, you know, something like that. Some of it is, you know, just the fear of, of um, you know, kind of what's going to happen, the fear of the unknown. You don't know what's going to happen next. So reaching out and talking to somebody. This is a good time, too, if you are staying up at night, pull in a resource. Get somebody else maybe to come over and stay, you know, stay one night or something, and maybe you sleep somewhere different just for a night or two because you have to be well-rested yourself to be able to help care for him and to be able to think for yourself. And so just trying to pull in um, limited resources to be able to to help you with that also, if you can, um, somebody that, you, that you'll feel comfortable with, with, you know, just staying there just to be able to help him out during that time. 
I guess I should also mention that we do offer cancer care online support groups, and sometimes people find those very helpful because they're not they're not time sensitive, so that you can post on those groups any time of the day or night. They are all facilitated by an oncology social worker, so those are done, of course, during business hours. But people do um, often post in the middle of the night because that's when they're up and thinking about things. And so if that would be something you'd want to consider or even just to talk with one of our oncology social workers at Cancer Care about this issue might be helpful to you as well or a case management team to kind of come up with some plans. But I think that um, many of the things that have been suggested are so amazingly helpful to to each of you. And as I think Dr. Fleischman said, this is a very normal, so not to feel that there's something abnormal about not being able to sleep at night. It's pretty normal for many people um, um, when someone that they love is ill. Um, anyone else want to add anything to that? Okay. So I have a question for, with a question for one of our telephone participants. So I'm going to ask Norma to bring her on board so she can ask her question. Thank you. Denise F., your line is open. You may ask your question. Uh, yes. Um, my question would be with, with the person with the multiple myeloma, um, and they also go to dialysis three times a week, and my biggest concern with that is they contradict herself telling me that she can only drink this amount, but in dialysis it's a different amount. But the diet is very important because that can affect a lot of things, and that contradicts itself. One time you can have this, but the other, the cancer, you can't. So it's, is there any suggestions maybe one of the doctors could give me? Oh, that's an excellent question, uh, Denise. Thank you for um, posing it. I'm going to ask uh, Dr. O'Donnell if she would address that question to start with. That's an important question. Absolutely. This is a really important question, and this is a particularly hard one. Um, so there are special diets for dialysis. Um, part of the job of dialysis is to regulate vital electrolytes such as potassium um, that are that are critical to your health. And so the dietitian at dialysis may make very specific recommendations, um, which are unique to the patient uh, that is receiving the dialysis based on the lab that they're reviewing when they're giving the dialysis. These recommendations are different than those given to the general cancer population. And so I would adhere, I'd advise that one adhere to the recommendations specifically given by the di uh, dialysis um, nutritionist because it really has to do with the labs that they're seeing. In general, uh, we want patients, you know, to be healthy, as mentioned, um, to minimize consumption of refined sugars, processed foods. Uh, but when you have a unique, when you're part of a unique population with very specific needs, such as a dialysis population, those needs trump those of kind of the more general guidelines. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you very much. Um, I hope that's helpful, Denise, and I hope you'll take this information back to treating healthcare team and, and that this will be a guide to you um, to help. Thank you. Yeah. One um, other suggestion? Yes. Uh, just yes. one other suggestion. Um, most dialysis centers have a dietitian and nutritionist. Yes. If your husband's receiving treatment at a cancer center rather than a private office, there will be a dietitian and nutritionist there. Give them permission and ask them to speak to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you'll yes. get one one idea rather than two. 
Oh, that's an excellent idea. That is very important now in our the world of uh, HIPAA. We do have to give permission for doctors and different disciplines and dietitians to be able to talk to each other when you're being treated at different centers. So please do that so that there can be coordination and even having a team meeting with them so that everyone's on the same page with this. Um, it might be helpful as well. Excellent question, Janice. Anyone else want to add to this? Really excellent. Okay, and this will be our, probably our last question up for Dr. O'Donnell. My husband is worried about bone fractures. What can I do to help him prevent this? Should he be more inactive to minimize the risk of breaking a bone? I know this is a really um, very important issue. So, Dr. O'Donnell. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is so important. So you know, we recommend to all patients that they receive medicines, whether either zolindronic acid, also known as Zometa, or denosumab, also known as Exgeva, to help patients strengthen their bones. We know uh, that myeloma affects the bones, and so part of um, therapy should include those bone-directed therapies. Um, whether or not to exercise or be inactive is very patient-specific. Uh, if there are lytic lesions or spots on the bones that are in weight-bearing areas such as the pelvis or the femur, your doctor may not want you to exercise. In the absence of those, though, patients should be exercising. Uh, we don't necessarily want them doing impact exercises like running, but getting out and walking, uh, moderate-intensity walking, uh, hydrotherapy, meaning exercising in a pool where you're non-weight-bearing, these or riding a stationary bicycle, um, these are non-weight-bearing activities that myeloma patients can do and enjoy and would be good for them. So I think, number one, uh, myeloma therapy should include bone-directed therapy. And number two, talk to your oncologist specifically about whether or not it's safe to exercise and what the correct exercises for your myeloma would be. Excellent. Thank you. I want to thank all of our speakers. You've been phenomenal. This has been an amazing program. I want to thank all of our participants, both on the phone and online, who asked such great questions. It's a wonderful um, group of just a wonderful coming together of the uh, the speakers and the participants today. It's been amazing. And I know there are many more questions in queue, and um, so I want to address that as well. But um, we did say this would be the one-hour program, so in fairness to everyone, we'll keep to that guideline. But I do want to say that for those of you who asked a question today or who have a question and did not ask the question yet, and for those of you who have learned things on the program today, we want you to take everything back to your healthcare team because they know you the best. And so then you can run everything past them in terms of the, this could be a role model for, for asking the questions. Now you go to your healthcare team, ask the same question, and, and work with them. Hopefully, as a result of the program today, your questions can be more, you can feel more confident in asking your questions and, and feel also more informed in asking the questions. You kind of have some sense of some general information that would be helpful. Um, but then how does it apply to you specifically? Um, I also uh, want to encourage all of you to take advantage of the full range of services of Cancer Care, which are free. And I have to say also that Cancer Care is not the only organization um, in the country that offers services to people living with multiple myeloma or caregivers. And so we would refer you to many other organizations as well. And actually, when you get the um, Survey Monkey evaluation. It will include other organizations as well that you might find helpful. Uh, not overwhelming numbers, but just numbers that we think might be organizations that we think could be of help to you that we know offer specific services for you. 
Um, and although in this time of social isolation and with um, the COVID-19 um, in different parts of the country and different parts of the world with different guidelines in terms of behavior, nevertheless, um, many people feel a bit more alone nowadays just because they're not able to perhaps invite everybody over to their house. They can't just do that. No, we're not. That, I don't think that's recommended anywhere that we are asked to kind of not do things like that, but to kind of stay within our own of uh, the own people that we're with every day, that sort of thing. But we can talk to people on the phone. We can do things online or with Zoom. There are a lot of things that people are doing. Um, and so there are some old-fashioned ways of keeping in touch by the phone, and there are some more high-tech ways of online. And so we do want you to know that it is normal to feel alone. Um, but when you're feeling really alone and just feel like you don't reach out to somebody, you have you can call Cancer Care and you can call many other organizations and you can also call out to others. And I think as many of us have discovered during the call, sometimes you don't hear from somebody for a while. It turns out that actually that person is preoccupied with some things they're dealing with. It's not that they don't care about you. It's just that they're busy with something else. So just be aware of that. Um, so you also can call out to people as well that you need help for. And so I want to thank you all for your participation today, and um, I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.